chapter 19. Got plugged. There, we're working. All right. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. And this occurs right after Jesus' trial. So they've sentenced him to death. So beginning in verse 16, finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, with him with two others, one on each side, and Jesus was in the middle. Pilate had noticed, had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate. He said, do not write King of the Jews with a capital K, but this man claimed to be King of the Jews with a lowercase k. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there and the disciple whom Jesus loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw this who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. 
These things happened so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one who they have pierced. All right, so we are actually in week number six of Empty, Empty Things, Empty Places, Empty People. And if you were here last Sunday, second, first of all, you're welcome. Great dinner, great cookout. We had a great time and always great dessert. Yes, someone, someone's back there going, yes, that was so good. It was great. We had a great time. It was fantastic and tons of fun to just hang out and get to reconnect with you guys. So thank you all who were a part of that and uh, all of you who were uh, able to stay. I hope you enjoyed it half as much as I did because I know you'll enjoy that. But if you can believe it or not, we're actually in week number six of this particular teaching series. And uh, last week, um, we did something a little bit different, and that was Eric did the preaching, and uh, I did the listening. It's usually the other way around. And somebody said, oh, it was good for you to get a break. And I told them, I said, hey, I thought it was you guys that were getting the break for me. I didn't realize I was getting the break. So anyway, uh, hope you enjoyed it. I know it's always good uh, to be able to hear from another voice. And today, we're coming very close to the very end of this particular teaching series, but we've been looking into it, having to do with empty and all of the things, places, and people that we know that have to do with empty. Now, you are not actually watching from home a discotheque, and you're not actually experiencing a disco here. Uh, Whenever that happens, that's usually just a problem with the... uh, Uh, The Wi-Fi, that's what's going on. So if that happens, I mean, I know you guys have had problems with your Wi-Fi. You know how that goes. I hope it's not too distracting. So today, I want to share a few things from the passage of Scripture, and I'm always in a little bit of a dilemma. The the dilemma is is that on Easter Sunday, I want to spend tons and tons of time having to do with you know, the Easter morning and Christ's rising from the dead, and we're going to cover that a lot next week. And I always want to try to cover Good Friday in there because of its proximity. But what I found myself doing more and more recently is the idea of tackling the the crucifixion of Christ the week before, and usually that falls on Palm Sunday. And so that being said, I am going to be talking about that crucifixion today, and we're going to talk about the empty cross next week, talking about the empty grave. But if you've been following along, if you've been doing the Lent challenge that we've given to everyone, Everyone. You have been watching the TV series online or through your app called The Chosen. Now, I know for some of you guys that has been a ton of fun. Some of you guys are already through with season number two. Uh, any of y'all already done with season number two, right? I know a couple of them. Are y'all, are y'all through season number three or just a little bit left in season two? Okay. Well, the, the challenge was do season number two. I think, Terry, I think you said you were all the way through you binge the whole thing. All right. This is the good kind of binging. And, you know, you're blessed. You're good. You're fine. Um, we, the binging we did last Sunday after church is not exactly the best kind of binging, but that's a good kind of binging. Yeah, we've all been watching, and I watched a couple of episodes, and every single episode, I'm telling you, Shelly and I go back and forth, and we say, I'm not crying. You're crying. You know, uh, we, we try to figure out who's shedding the most tears between the two of us. It is really powerful. 
It's so powerful that I tried to get my dad, who celebrated his 82nd birthday yesterday, I tried to get him hooked up with a, the mobile phone app so he could cast it to his TV. And if you've ever tried to teach an 82-year-old man how to cast to a TV, you know that I am a, I'm a saint. I'm a, I'm a man of patience. I'm a man of, of you know, okay, I'm <laughs> just kidding. All right, he did really good. And uh, hopefully they're going to enjoy it half as much as I did. So I'm talking today a little bit about the, the, the crucifixion of Christ and what that means to us. And I want to begin here from a, a story that is told in Max Lucado's book called Six Hours, One Friday. If you haven't ever heard of it, I encourage you. It is a great book. It is a book that will challenge you. It will, it will really, truly give you a sense of what Christ did whenever he came. And during that six-hour time frame when he was on the cross, how he changed all of human history. And so I want to begin with this slide that is next. And by the way, I'm going to have to be telling Miss Alicia where to go on these slides today because it's just some technical difficulties that have happened. It's just one of those things. But this is what he has said. He said, I, I found a place in San Antonio, Texas. And in this particular cemetery that's kind of been forgotten by time, I saw a headstone. He said, what I read on that headstone broke my heart. This woman had two names listed, one of her first husband and one of her second husband. But this is what the rest of the headstone read. Her name is Grace Smith, and she sleeps, but she rests not. She loved, but was loved not. She tried to please, but pleased not. And she died as she lived, alone. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel, but I don't know if, if you were like me, I would just about rather you do anything in the world to me to make sure that that's not my headstone, right? I mean, I just can't even imagine what it would be like to kind of write down and etch in stone the futility of a life to that degree and in those words. And as you look at this woman's headstone, you realize that she was pursuing the way that she could be a blessing outward, but never re reached that point and never achieved it. One of the things that Max Lucado also says in that book is, he said, we all have that fear, so we don't want to ask ourselves the question. And that is, is that by the end of it all, when I look back on it all, will all I have sacrificed have been worth it? And this is the whole concept of the empty teaching series that we try to fill our lives and fill our hearts and fill our souls with things that ultimately bring us emptiness. And rather than fulfillment and that feeling of being truly full, truly appreciated, truly loved, we instead find emptiness. And so it's so very important that we grasp that we need to get on the right path. And there is also something else that Lucado says early on in the book. And he says these words on the next slide. He says, there are three burdens that are too big for any back. They're too heavy for any bicep. There are three burdens that no man can carry alone. And that is futility, failure, and finality. Now, if you begin to kind of look at that, you see exactly where he's going and what he's saying. And you and I, we have to agree We've all had failures. We've all felt like the things that we were doing with our life were basically futile. And then we come to the place where we can no longer change the narrative 
And we find ourselves laying in maybe this underneath a headstone that probably wouldn't necessarily be quite that cold and quite that distant, but the one that was just mentioned, loved but loved not, you know, tried to please but did not please, did all of these things and did not quite make it. And we've been talking about in that That series called The Chosen, we've seen the different characters and how really when Jesus walks into their life, there is something that is empty inside of them that starts reaching out and calling out and even kind of grasping a hold of and not letting go of the fact that they see within him someone and he has that something, that that touch of God that actually fills that void that they've been looking for. And you can see it, and it's so familiar. It really is so familiar. If you look at the different characters that we've talked about in the very first week, we deal with this character here. Let's go to the next slide. Right here. Possessions or perfectionism. We talk about Matthew, the, the, the tax collector who is trying to, to fill his void with possessions and maybe perfectionism, the things that he wanted to see happen in his life. We, we talked the second week about personal determination and accomplishment. This is Andrew and Simon Peter, Andrew on the right and Simon Peter on the left, if you know the story and if you've been following along. Their, their determination to do their life their way and to accomplish what they needed to, it's all there and Christ reveals that that leads to emptiness as well. We go to the next slide, the woman at the well. If you remember that story from John chapter four, you've had five husbands And the man that you're living with now is not your husband. You have said it true that you do not have a husband. He he touched a raw nerve with this woman, but in the process of touching that raw nerve, he brought her into a place where she could actually be healed and be forgiven. And trying to fill that void with personal relationships never actually works. Let's go to our next slide here. And then last week, Eric did a fantastic job preaching about piety and self-righteousness. The, the man Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night, that famous passage of scripture where Jesus looks him in the eye and says, you've got to be born again. It's not about this self-righteousness that you have. It's not even about knowing about God. It is about knowing God. And there is a big difference, right? Amen. And so the truth is, is that in this different collage of people, we see the emptiness that we kind of pursue as well, the ways that we fill those things. But let's just be very clear. When we can tell we're falling short, this is a great slide that Eric shared last week. When we can tell we're falling short, sometimes we just stop running the race. When we know we're not going to finish it in the way we want to, we just stop running the race. And that's why apathy is out there and exists. And we, we shared this last week. No mountain seems too high when you don't care about climbing it, right? I mean, and you can see this happening in our world. There's an apathy to the things that are going on. And there's actually another A word that's going on in our world. There's tons of apathy But there's also tons and tons of anger as well. You've seen that, right? I mean, there's there's people that are angry with life. There are people that are apathetic. They just have withdrawn from the race. But then there's some that are angry. And sometimes, I'll just be honest with you real quick. I've seen anger pop out in a place in my heart and in my life last Sunday afternoon. 
And let's be clear, last Sunday afternoon, I was supposed to be full of God's love and loving everybody because I'm a preacher and you know my mind's supposed to be right at least on one day of the week. Y'all know what I'm talking about, amen? So, and then suddenly, anger kind of flared up and it came out and I couldn't deny that I had something inside of me that was living there reminding me that maybe I'm a little off track. Now, how many of you guys will just at least pray for me? I know y'all, don't, y'all can't identify. Y'all have never been angry in Houston traffic or anything close to that, right? Uh, but yeah, it wasn't even in traffic. Um, I was angry for some other reason, and it popped out of my life, and I was like, oh, no. And I, I literally prayed. I was like, Lord, I'm still not there yet. I need, I need your help still. But when these things come up, when we're withdrawing from the human race and when we're angry at everybody for all kinds of small and little bitty reasons and we can't control it, we're reminded that probably what we're doing is we're trying to fill the void with something that will not bring fullness. It just brings emptiness. And here's the big idea that I want to share with you guys today. It's right here on the screen. The empty cross and the empty grave saves you from your empty life. The empty cross and the empty grave saves you from your empty life. We're going to talk more about the empty grave next week on Easter, as you can quite imagine. But today we're going to look at the empty cross, the cross that Jesus died on, and they took him down, and he fully died. He fully was crossed that threshold from where he was in the living and then suddenly was no longer living. This passage that Eric referred to, we're going to talk a little bit about that in just a moment. Would you guys say the big idea with me? The empty cross and the empty grave saves you from your empty life. Now, you guys, I'm going to ask you all to say it again because here's the deal. Here's what sometimes happens. Sometimes you guys come in and y'all's energy level is a little on the low side. Y'all know that happens, right? Now, if y'all would like for me to really get revved up, y'all are going to have to help me out a little bit more, all right? So I'm going to give y'all a chance. Let's do it a little bit better. Come on. We're going to work through this together. A little low energy day. I brought my stool over. Okay, hold on. Uh, Here we go. You guys ready? A little bit more energy. Here we go. The empty cross and the empty grave saves you from an empty life. There's so many places to go and so deep that we can go. We're not going to go every one. There's things that I could cover, but I just don't have time to cover every single one. But we're going to try to focus on a couple that I think will make a big difference. One that we have been across in that ground, and then the next few, I think some things that we haven't yet mentioned, but I think that will be very, very powerful for you and for me. Let's go to our next slide. And as we look here in John chapter 19, Verse 24, verse 28, verse 36, and through 37. You might have recognized it whenever Eric was reading the scriptures from John chapter 19 just a minute ago. If you didn't hear it, let me remind you of what was happening. Over and over and over and over again, literally at least four different times, the Bible reminds us that this was no accident. This was not something that just happened to fall together and, man, Jesus ended up getting crucified. we got to figure this out. This literally was the plan of God whenever he calls him the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. That reminds us that all along God's plan was 
I'm going to create mankind, and when they fall, I will create for them an opportunity to be brought and bought back. Before we even sinned, God provided the way for us to be forgiven. Now, that'll blow your mind if you linger too long there, but here's what we need to be reminded. This was not an accident. This was not happenstance. Everything was orchestrated in Jesus's life. And as we look at that passage of scripture over and over and over again in John 19, it reminds us that Jesus was doing stuff that was predicted of him hundreds of years before he even took his first step in Bethlehem, right? So here we are. Let's decide by lot who will get it, is what the, the soldiers say. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled. You see that? Now, the next time, I'm going to come to that, and it's underlined, and I'm going to have you guys say the Scripture might be fulfilled or Scripture would be fulfilled. You guys hang with me here. So his life is fulfilling Scripture. It is bringing God's plan into reality in the human life and the human existence. And then in verse 28, later, knowing that everything had been finished, and so that what? Scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. There had been a prediction in the Old Testament that Jesus would be given gall and vinegar to drink in the Psalms. And it is happening in real life. And then in verse 36, these things happen so that the what? Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. Did you guys hear that part? It's pretty dramatic. Because sometimes we forget that the cross was not exactly a nice place. We wear crosses around our neck, but it's not exactly something that they would have done back in the day. Because many of them had had people that they knew that were crucified on this implement of death. And so it was not a positive in any way. And as a matter of fact, if you were a person who was unfortunate enough, and yes, I did say unfortunate enough, if you were unfortunate enough to live a long time on that cross you still weren't coming down off of it until you were brought down to be put in a tomb. Are you guys with me? You understand? You didn't get a reprieve if you beat the game. No, no. What happened was you would be spread out on a cross and your feet, if you guys will allow me here on the edge, so a little bit of, uh, I need to make sure I got my balance just right. Your feet would be put over like this and your weight would be, hung on the cross and in the process your lungs would be filling with fluid so you could not breathe you would begin to push your feet down and raise your body up to be able to get one more breath of air it becomes almost reflexive it's better if you die earlier than stay in that position for a long time but your body desperate for air just automatically pushes you back up pretty ugly thing and if you beat the game, the soldiers come by and break your legs so you can no longer push yourself up to get a breath. You see what I'm saying? It's rough. It's not nice. It's not polite. You didn't talk about the cross in polite company. Jesus alone is the kind of guy who can come into human history, take a, a, an implement of capital punishment and make an adornment of it through a necklace or a, a, or a, a thing that you have in your wrist. It's, it's an amazing way that God changes lives and changes things. 
Not one of his bones would be broken. And you see this in the ancient scriptures. And so as they come to Jesus, they check to make sure that he's dead. The guy on this side is not. And the guy on this side is not. So they break the legs of those. But Jesus has already been through a scourging and a, and a very, very difficult thing. And so he has actually already died. And they take a spear just to make sure. And they jam it up in underneath his rib cage. And in doing so, rupture the heart and a flow of blood and water that have already begun to separate in your body. The, 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 the hemoglobin and the, and the water have already begun to separate because he has died and he's no longer pumping blood through his body. And it comes bursting forth. And this is one more act that happens as Jesus fulfills not only not a single bone will be broken, but that in Zechariah, he says, they will look on the one that they have pierced. Not only through the hands and the feet, but the one who has had his side pierced. And then later, Jesus says to, to Thomas, he says, come over here and put your hand in my side and in your hands in my wrists and see that I am not a ghost, but I am real and I have flesh and bone, but you can still see the scars. It's an amazing thing and scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture is getting fulfilled and we realize this isn't just some happenstance. It's not just a bunch of bad circumstances that all came together. This is Jesus doing God's plan so that God's people might be saved. Amen? I mean, isn't that what's going on? Let's honor what was happening at that moment, and let's not get it twisted. That was God's plan. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Before we even needed it, God already provided it. And how many of you guys are glad that God still provides even before we know what we need? Can I get an amen? I mean, have you ever had that experience in your life where you look around and you go, how did this happen? It's like God knew what I needed before I knew what I needed. And I begin to pray and I look back and God's fingerprints are all over the, the roots of this thing before I even knew I had a need. They look on the one that they pierced, just as another scripture says. Jesus, there on the cross, fulfills all of these things, which cleanse us from all of our sin. Let's go to our next slide. And here we see the forbidden chapter. This is great. If, I encourage you guys, if any of y'all want to go down a rabbit hole, it's not really a rabbit hole, it's just one single video. But this is a great video. It's called The Forbidden Chapter. In this video, a Jewish man seeks to evangelize other modern-day Jews, asking if they have read The Forbidden Chapter. That's Isaiah chapter 53. In other words, the rabbis of modern Judaism are no longer reading Isaiah 53. And the reason that they have not been doing that for a number of years is the more and more and more you read, the more you realize that it only comes to one person. All of the things that are written about Jesus in Isaiah 53 point so clearly to him that they don't want those who follow Jewish customs to turn their back on the Jewish law and become messianic and realize that they came, they, that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. And so it's so important that you check out this video if you're interested. It's only about 10 minutes long. It is great. And there are some beautiful things and interactions that happen. But let's read for just a moment two of the most famous scriptures from Isaiah chapter 53. What's incredible about this video is 
the young man asks and says, I want you to read Isaiah 53. This is a passage that you probably have not read. Would you read it out loud? And then he asks them the question, do you know who this passage could be referring to? And almost every single one of them goes, I, I, I don't know. I have no idea. And then there's one guy who says, I know who you're trying to get me to say. And it clearly refers to him. But I want you to know that I, as a rabbi, do not believe in him. Powerful stuff. I think you might enjoy it. But Isaiah chapter 53 verses 4 and 5 says, He took up our pain. He bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced. Back to that piercing. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are, would you guys say that last word with me? Healed. So important to know that whenever Jesus gets down off that cross, that thing that was an implement of death has now become an implement of of absolute healing and healing from the outer all the way to the inner. Bringing healing even to those among us who are the absolute most empty. Let's go to our next slide. Christ's death on the cross shows us a few things, and this one we've talked a little bit about, so we'll move through pretty quickly. But we've seen, as Christ's death on the cross shows, that it's not about religion, it's about our relationship with him. And we talk about how God so loved the world that whoever believes in him. In other words, when Jesus came, he said, no more animal sacrifices needed, I am now the ultimate sacrifice. Nothing else is needed, all you have to do is simply believe. And so if you see that passage of scripture that Eric referred to, that healing that comes, you've even seen it in some of the things that you've seen uh, having to do with the modern medical field, and we won't go too much into it, but I encourage you to go back. Let's go to our next slide. You can see, you guys have seen these images, right, before? And in John chapter 3, you know, the, the Lord says to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that anybody that believes might find healing, hope, and peace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It all fits together. That's exactly what's going on. And let me go to this next slide. Christ's death on the cross shows us that it's not about rules, it's about rest. I'm going to say that one more time. Christ's death on the cross shows us it's not about rules, it's about rest. And Jesus speaking to those who were following him, he said to them in Matthew chapter 10, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find, what? Rest for your souls. Let me just slow down. Sometimes I get rolling, I get to talking, and we don't take the time, but slow down for a minute. We work less physically than we ever have in, our, in human history. But we have 
a bigger need and desire for rest than we've ever had in our human history. You guys understand what I'm saying? Why? Because what we thought was causing us to be tired was something physical for all these years, and then suddenly we stopped doing physical labor, and now we realize that the tiredness does not come from doing, but the being in our modern world. Now, I'm not here to downgrade anything about you know, physical or non-physical labor. That's not the point. What I'm trying to convey to us is, is that Jesus knows that just like he spoke to the uh, agriculture-based society of his time, and just as he speaks to those of us here in 2022, we're all still looking for the same thing, and it is we need rest. We know that we're doing too much that is meaningless and not nearly enough that is meaningful and that there is really no recreation, recreation to be found until we truly slow it down and begin to rest. Now, I want to do something that you might not have heard a lot of preachers do. I want to tell you something, that the spiritual life is not about the list of rules and putting yourself up on a chart and saying, did I measure up? Did I do the right thing? Here, I'm going to measure myself down. I'm going to pump myself up here and take this scorecard. And I don't think that it's important for us, you know, to miss this. I think it's very important that we don't. The truth is, is that ultimately in our world, whatever grade we might put on ourselves, all that does is just put us on a schedule and a path where we have to keep on performing, where we have to keep on performing. And Jesus is saying to us, as he is nailed down on that cross, he's saying it's not about the rules, it's about rest. It's about you finding peace, not only in what you're living like, but that you've been accepted by the one who made you. For all of us, we are missing rest because there's always just this thing in the little back of our mind that we could be and should be doing more. I'm going to say that again. And if you agree and you understand exactly, or if you've ever been there, I want you guys to say amen. There's that thing in the back of our minds that's telling us that we should be doing more. Amen? We've all been there. We know that that's how it is. And so we've got to get off that treadmill. And Jesus choosing to get on that cross takes the forgiveness of your sins out of your hands and places it squarely in his. And he says, don't worry, I've got this. If you would just take a moment, lay down your burdens, and truly genuinely find rest. In Matthew chapter 27, the Bible talks about what happens when Jesus, his life ends. And as a matter of fact, it's something that's very powerful, but it's not something that we see in every one of the gospels. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 through 53, the book of Matthew says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the body of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city, and appeared to many people. In other words, this powerful thing that happened when Jesus died 
changed everything. Now, it may be interesting to you. It may be something that you already are aware of. But in that time, there was something that was called the temple. And there was a place called the Holy of Holies, the, the holiest place. It was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And it was the place where God's presence would dwell. And you dare not enter that place if you had sin in your life. And so they would encourage the priests to go in. But literally, when they would encourage them, they would put a, a rope around their ankle. <laughs> that They would put a rope around their ankle so that if they went in with sin in their life, as they stood before God, if he did not accept them and if he struck them down, they'd be able to pull them out so that they might be brought out of the holy place. I mean, this was no joke. But what happened whenever Jesus died was that that curtain that separated all of the court where everyone worshipped and the holiest place where God's spirit dwelled was torn in two from top to bottom, from God to man and not the other way around. From God to man, the forgiveness is given and he opens up the opportunity to say, I know who you are. I've seen all the things that you've done. But I love you with all of my heart. And he forgives us no matter who we are or what we've done. It is powerful. And just something to learn very quickly. The veil that was torn when Christ was crucified, it wasn't like a thin veil that was worn by brides, you know, that you could somewhat see through. It was much closer to a stage curtain at a Broadway show. It was about 60 foot tall by about 20 foot wide and up to two to four inches thick. I mean, it was an incredible thing that this thing would get torn. It wasn't an accident. It was clearly an act of God. And at the very moment of Jesus' death, every separation that keeps us out of God's presence is taken away, torn from top to bottom. God saying, nothing keeps you out of my presence anymore. Powerful stuff. Okay, very quickly, let's go to what the cross shows us. Number three. It's not about repayment, it's about redemption. And in Colossians chapter 2, I shared this passage with you guys two weeks ago. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which condemns us. He's taken it away and he has nailed it to the, what is the, the last word there? To the cross. It all happened on the cross. It's not about repayment, it's about redemption. It's already been paid for. Have any of you guys ever had that experience where you go up to pay for a meal and somebody goes, no, 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 you don't need to pay. It's already been taken care of. Have any of you guys ever had that experience before? That's a great feeling, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you have these mixed emotions. Part of you is like, this is great. I don't have to pay. But then there's the realization of that moment that somebody had to pay. It wasn't me, but it was somebody. And so you have this mix of emotions of, this is great, but this is also <laughs> a feeling of indebtedness. We cannot pay our debt when it comes to sin. But the thing that we can do is say, your love so clearly demonstrated for me makes me love you. I can't refuse that love that so powerfully pursues me. And so even though I cannot pay, 
I will not choose to live as if you've not pursued me and paid for me. And so my life is given to you in my way of saying thank you for all that you have done. That's it. I don't owe God anything, but I owe him everything. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how to explain it, but I've only found one thing in my life that's worth giving my whole life for. And as much as I love my family, and as much as I love my girls and my wife and all that stuff, the only thing that brings me fulfillment The only thing that I'm designed to do is to pursue that feeling that fills the empty. And it's not through the relationships. It's not through me receiving something or giving something or possessing something or accomplishing something or finding a right person in my life. It's all about me pursuing the God who, as said earlier in that that video that we watched, he has created us for himself And our hearts will be restless until we find our rest in him and in him alone. Fullness is mentioned twice in that passage of Colossians. By the way, I encourage you to be a part of the Zoom Bible study. It's going to start not this coming Wednesday, but the next. I will encourage you to be a part. But let's go to this next slide, Colossians chapter 2. Um, let's go one more. There we go. For Christ, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And Christ has, the, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He mentions fullness there twice. Now, let me just take a minute. And yep, I got a little out of order there, Alicia, my bad. <laughs> I want to talk about very quickly those words of it is finished. As Jesus is there on the cross The Bible says that he calls out in a loud voice, it is finished, and then he gives up his spirit. By the way, gives up, not taken from. But as he is there on the cross, he, in the word in Greek, is one single word. It's tetelestai, is the the way that you would pronounce it in Greek. The Greek word is one single word, and it is translated for us, it is is finished. Now, that word is very powerful, and this is the last something to learn very quickly. That word is your way of seeing and seeing that basically at the end of the day, that was a accounting term. The accounting term tetelestai basically was written over scripts where you said, they owe me this bill, and then they would take it and they would write across the top to telestai in Greek, meaning paid in full. And so when Jesus gives up his spirit, he tells us that our lives have been paid for in full. Now, why is this getting me a little choked up? I'm here to tell you why. Because so many of us are desperately trying with everything that is within us to go and prove something or earn something from the one who has already paid in full your bill, my bill, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter what failure, futility, and finality has come to find us, and no matter what has felt like a burden we could not bear up under, it is Jesus who at the end of his life, 
with one last dying declaration says it's paid in full. Every single one, every single problem, every single sin, every single person that will take it, it has been paid in full. My goodness, what a life-changing thing if we could just grab it and hold on to it and not lose sight of it. It is the cure for empty. It is the way that we find healing, and that healing that cannot be found somewhere else is found right there at the foot of the cross, seeing Jesus say, it's already been paid in full, nothing else is needed. Let's go to our next slide here, and I'm drawing to a very close close So we go back to the Isaiah passage and it reminds us of all the things that he took upon us as he voluntarily went to that cross. He took up our pain. He bore our sorrow. And by the way, I changed this and I put the capital H in there for he because now we know who he is. We know who he is and what he has done. He took our pain. He bore our suffering. We considered him punished by God, stricken and afflicted by him, but he was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was put on him, and by his wounds, I am healed. That's why those things that I should feel shame, I don't. It tries to come back in, but I beat it back, and I say, no, 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 no. It's already been paid in full. He already took it all on and took it all over, and every debt that was ever owed has already been paid in full. I don't deal with it anymore. Not because I'm great, but because clearly the star of this show is the capital H, the he that took it all and made it his, and in the process, made me his as well. Let's go to our final slides here. Because of the cross, forgiveness can be found, purpose can be revealed, weakness can be overcome, and victorious life can be lived and experienced. It's just a question of whether or not you're going to let the cross do all that it is capable of doing. I'm here to tell you that every one of these things is there for you or You can go back to the failure, futility, and finality and try to bear it yourself. But I don't see why you would. I mean, not only is it too heavy for you and you already know that, not only does it bring you emptiness and you already know that as well, he already has made the provision. All you got to do is accept it. You guys see? I mean, why in the world would we ever want anything else? And by the way, that cure for emptiness, that cure for living a less than victorious life, I haven't found another spot that fills it except for at the foot of the cross. And he says to us, it is finished, it is done, nothing else is needed. I've got it all and I will take care of all of it and take care of you. (laughs) All right. Now, it's not been the best two weeks for a guy by the name of Will Smith. Have you all ever heard of this guy before? Not exactly been a banner couple of weeks for Will. We had some fun with it last week. I don't know if you guys saw this, uh, me slapping Eric. It was, that was Eric's creation and I, I thought it was hilarious, but yeah. Yeah, not exactly the best two weeks for Hitch. 
right? How many of you guys remember that, 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 that movie? It was a good movie. It was good. It was 2005, make you feel old. Um, Kevin James on the left and Will Smith pre-slap right there on the right, right? In this, in this thing, it is so good. He decides, this guy on the left, Kevin James, this, this accountant who has not a lot to offer, falls in love with this very, very famous and very, very rich and very, very beautiful woman. Uh, you guys have seen this. No spoiler alerts, y'all. If you haven't seen it in the last, I don't know, 18 years, that's on you, not on me, okay? Here's the deal. In this, Hitch on the right knows how to make a relationship work. He's got insight into women. He's the, the woman whisperer. Ladies, I'm sorry. I'm just telling you about the movie. I don't think that you could be whispered, right? Okay, we're still friends. All right, here's the deal. He says, who do you want to have fall in love with you? And he says, I want this woman to fall in love with me. He calls her name in this movie. It's Allegra. And he goes, whoa. He goes, you set your sights high, brother. That's a high bar. I mean, this is not exactly going to be easy. And he goes, are you telling me that I, you can't do it? Is that what you're saying? He goes, no, no, no. I'm not saying I can't do it. I'm saying I'm going to do it. And when people see this, they're going to go, I can't believe he made that work. He said, have you ever heard of the Sistine Chapel? He said, I am Michelangelo and you and this request of yours is the Sistine Chapel. You guys with me? In other words, it's going to be a masterpiece once I get finished with this. You guys follow. Hang with me. Have y'all been watching The Chosen? And every time Mary Magdalene walks through the screen, somebody's pointing and going, there's that woman that was a mess and a wreck and nothing in her life was good. She was everything bad that you would ever lay eyes on. And she's so dramatically different. Who is it that brought her into that brand new place? It's like Jesus saying, Michelangelo, Sistine Chapel. If you're a person who right now is saying, but you don't know where I've been. Michelangelo, Sistine Chapel. He can do it. He will do it. He's done it. And he will do it again. No matter where you've been, what you've done, who you are, what you think, you can't give up. He's the Michelangelo and you're the Sistine Chapel. Let his work be done in your life and let everything change for you. Not because of your greatness, but because of his. And I want to just say this very quickly. Don't miss this. Your shortcomings are God's showcase. He can do something in you that speaks volumes and volumes and volumes. And whenever people see you walk by, if you are living in that way, they will say, she's different. I can't explain it outside of God and his work. He's a different man than he ever used to be. Your shortcomings are now God's showcase, if you will let them be, because of the cross. Let's go to our final slide here. This is this picture of Mary and Nicodemus. And let's go one more here. The question here, what areas of your life are showing signs of empty? Is it your pursuits? Is it your practices? Is it your priorities? And then finally, this slide here, we make a choice to rest 
And you can say these words, I have been bought and paid for and it has been paid in full. If you will say those words instead of feeling like you got to rush and run for the rules, if instead you want that rest, this is where you find it. And then finally, you build your life on his power. And this is the word and phrase for you. Every time you see that you are not living up to what you want to be, don't give up. Instead, you say, my shortcomings are his showcase. Heavenly Father, please be with us. It is you, dear Lord, who changes us. It is your sacrifice on the cross that makes everything different. You are the one that we desperately need to fill the empty that is within our hearts. God, may you be the one who accomplishes everything in our lives. And may we be the people who point to you and say, it's not about me, it is about him. I have a world and a life full of shortcomings, but he is the God who wants to put it in his showcase. Dear Lord, let it be in Jesus' name we pray.